I uh, just want to welcome all of you again. A happy Mother's Day. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Galatians, this gospel of freedom, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the freedom that it brings. And the, the specific title that we have is you want to even start pulling out your, your bulletin notes, grab a Bible. You can start turning to Galatians 2. But today it's all about unity, not uniformity. Okay, how we can be one and be unified, but recognizing that we actually have tons of differences when it comes to us. And so because it's Mother's Day, I thought, hey, let's actually think about this in light of moms and that the different kinds of moms. And I'd even looked at, saw there was even some videos about different kinds of moms, but honestly, none of them were safe for church. So we're not going to show any of them. But the but these different types of moms is kind of an interesting thing. Is you have all different types of moms, people that care about all sorts of different things. But then what happens a lot of time, which is what's the bummer, is a lot of times you see different moms judging or kind of hating on or, or, or talking trash on other moms because they care about things that are different than what you care about. You know, and you've got some of that. But if we could, with moms, like recognize, hey, there's all of these different people, all these different kinds of moms, but let's celebrate the differences and let's celebrate that. So what I want to do now is, is go through a few different kinds of moms, and some of it will be a little bit, you know, funny or jabby, but I want to see how we can have just a heart or see the heart in these amazing different kinds of moms. So the first is the oversharer, okay? Uh, this mom can be a great source of information, but you're probably going to learn way more about poop, private parts, and personal issues than you really have ever wanted to hear, okay? This is the oversharing mom, all right? Now, we can, like, think about the oversharing mom and, and think about, like, that's scary, but we want to see her heart of just loving to talk about her kids, no matter how messy it might get, all right? Uh, the next is the health nut mom, okay? This is where you've got amber necklaces, you've got essential oils, gluten-free, organic, everything, okay? This mom has got it all, and you're loving her until she judges you for the snack that you have that has GMOs in it, right? But we want to also recognize and see the heart of the health nut mom and recognize that she has this heart of wanting the, like, the health and vitality of her precious little babies. Then you've got the bragger mom, all right? The bragger mom is the mom that is telling you how her kid is reaching that milestone so much earlier than all the other kids are reaching that milestone, right? And uh, her, her kid's so perfect in so many ways. But we want to see the heart of even the bragger mom, where the bragger mom just really has this genuine pride and love, again, for her precious ones. Uh, then you've got the know-it-all mom, okay? This is the mom that is just the walking Wikipedia page on everything when it comes to parenting. And the know-it-all mom has every parenting tip and expert recommendation for you, whether you want to hear about it or not. And so, you know, but we, we see the heart of that know-it-all mom is the mom that just really cares and wants to learn more and more about how she can be that, that better parent and wants to share it with you. So see the heart in the midst of that. Then you've got the laid-back mom, okay? This is the mom that is like just chilling. She will never judge you because she is just relaxed, even though she has no idea that her toddler is on the roof about to jump off, okay? But uh, now, I mean, I guess we see the heart of trust in God uh, in the, the, the laid-back mom. <laughs> then you've got the product pusher, okay? This is the product pusher mom who has every 
top-of-the-line item that you could ever have when it comes to products for parenting. And they're telling you why you should have every single one of those products as well and might even be selling you one of them. So, you know, just be aware. But that product pusher mom, even her to see that heart of provision, that that product uh, pusher mom wants to provide for her family well. And then finally we have the hot mess mom, okay? This is the mom who has spit up and coffee stains on her while she's walking with a trail of toys and Cheerios behind her and she's got big dreams of kale juice and butternut squash soup, but in reality it's McDonald's and a big gulp, okay? So that is our blessed hot mess mom and you can see just the picture of Melissa Broche right there. Um, (laughs) Oh, <laughs> she already knew I was going to say that. She actually described herself as that to me. So that's, that's all. Don't, don't slay me. All right. But, uh, and so all that, just being a little bit silly with it. But for us, when we think about in the same way, for all these different types of moms, to not judge each other for these different like, ways that we all are, but to come together and recognize and see the heart inside of each person, this sense of, of having, like celebrating our uniqueness, celebrating our diversity in that, that as followers of Jesus, we don't seek uniformity. We're not all trying to be the same, but we want to have unity in the midst of these things that we're different in. And so we're going to look at that and how that plays out in this story in Galatians 2. So if you have not yet done it, Grab your Bibles, open it up to Galatians 2, and we're going to read through here. Because last week, we saw Paul telling the beginnings of his story, and uh, him beginning to share his faith across Asia Minor and to the Gentiles. And then it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Then, after an interval of 14 years, I, Paul speaking, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them in Jerusalem the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now just I'll pause here for a second to recognize as you hear some of these terms, whether they're familiar to you or not, just to remember as we read Gentiles, that just means anybody who's not Jewish— Okay? Anybody in the world that's not Jewish, as they'll also be described as the uncircumcised. Okay? That's anybody who's not Jewish. Gentiles. Okay? Then you've got uh, others speaking of those who are Jewish or speaking of the circumcised. And so it's speaking about Jewish people who are there sharing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Okay? So that's what you've got going on here. And Paul and Barnabas and Titus are preaching to the Gentiles. And it says, So he went up to submit to them the gospel that he'd been preaching to the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, 
just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he, the Spirit of God, it's speaking of here, for he, the Spirit of God, who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who are reputed to be pillars, pillars of the faith, you know, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. We'll stop there for now. Okay, so we've got this whole thing of this whole story where you have Paul, Barnabas, Titus, others who are going into Asia Minor and Greece and eventually Rome, and they are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people, and they're establishing churches. Then you've got others like James, John, Peter, who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jews in Jerusalem and other places, but specifically with those who are still Jews, and sharing with them how he is the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of their sins. And so they both got these different things, but you've got some that are saying, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, you've got some that are saying, you have to add to just this gospel of Jesus that you must be circumcised and obey the Jewish dietary laws and other things like that, uh, following the law to be saved. That You have to add that to be saved. And so you've got a big conflict and a lot of disagreement and discussion all around that. And so that's what this big disagreement is all about. Now, as we go through this, what we're going to see is that biblical unity doesn't mean we agree on everything, okay? There are things that we must agree on. There are some things that we must agree on, and it's even okay to break fellowship if we have disagreement over that. But we're going to kind of work our way through that, okay? We're working our way through the beginning of the passage, and then we'll kind of get into seeing how it all kind of falls out, all right? And so that's what we have going on here. And one, one thing that I want us to recognize <clears throat> is it's easy for us in 2017 to look back at the people in the first century and think, why would they think you have to obey all these laws? You have to be circumcised? Like, what were they thinking? Like, why do they think that would be necessary for salvation? It might be easy for us to look past that, right? Now, what you have to recognize is for them, I mean, they've been going off like almost 1,500 years of tradition and that their entire lives are all based around living your life according to this law. And so then you have this new way uh, of following Jesus, and for a lot of them it's hard. And so change is hard for people. It was hard for people in the first century, and it's hard for us today. And I will venture to say here, too, that change is hard for older people, and change is hard for younger people. Okay? It doesn't matter. Change is hard for a lot of different people, and it's hard for us. And, and so in the midst of all of this, they're trying to figure out, like, how do we— how do we have this discussion? How do we do this well? And I think this is an interesting example of how to disagree well. And so we look at verse 2 for kind of like our first thoughts on that. And verse 2, it talks about how, how Paul says, I go in private to these ones in reputation and submit to them this gospel that I'm preaching. And so from that, I just consider that we must act respectfully, right? We act respectfully to those whom we disagree with. And we really want to have this kind of like this healthy discourse, this, this discussion and argument that's, that's the good kind, where, where you're sharing your thoughts and another's sharing their thoughts and you're respecting their view and they're respecting your view and you're coming together in that really well. And that's something that 
you know, I think actually is, is pretty hard for us these days. And, you know, like we, we have a really hard time having healthy disagreement. And sometimes I, I think of it as like the Facebook generation that has forgotten how to disagree. And when I say the Facebook generation, I'm probably actually not even talking about younger people, um, but let's just say the whole social media, ge- you know, generation. But with the Facebook generation, I think about my dad who's in his 80s, and that guy Facebooks more than like anyone I know. And so you've got, like, it's all across the board, right? But what you see out there I know you get this, you know this, but I mean, somebody shares some point of view on something, and it doesn't just get discussed. It's like, hey, you're an idiot, you moron. How could you ever think that? What are you thinking? Are you even a Christian? You should just, wow, you know, and it just escalates just beyond belief of how people disagree and how they just throw people out with their arguments. And I just would hope so badly that we could get some of that back. But we see how Paul goes in, and he does this in private, and, um, and it's just, it's a respectful sort of way. Um, okay, we keep building, we keep building, okay? Now we see in the next couple verses that the true gospel is what must be agreed upon and fought for, okay? The true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the way that we are saved, the way, like, who Jesus is and what he did, what he came to do, and what that accomplishes— that is what must be agreed upon. Look at verses 4 and 5. If you got your Bible, just look, look through it. You just see some of these words. It's false brethren secretly sneaked in to spy. Like these aren't, you know, positive words. And it was in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield into subjection for even an hour, right? Like it's strong language that you get from Paul when it comes to those who are saying that the gospel is different. When they're trying to proclaim a different gospel, all of a sudden now Paul is going to bring out the big guns. And you're going to see with the, the thing we do next week, the story next week, it gets even crazier. It goes, they go big time disagreements, Paul and Peter. And so um, we're going to talk about this more, but I just want us to understand that that is the thing that we really should disagree on. Now, as we, as we keep building, we keep going through this passage as he's kind of showing, all of, showing us how to do all of this. Verse 6 is this verse where he says this whole thing about like, hey, I don't care who they are. You know, I don't care if they're of high reputation or whatever. God doesn't show partiality. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to do something different or say something different just because these people are like important people somehow, okay? And, and so Paul, I think here he's showing us how when we are considering like, you know, our, our motives in things. We have to think that through. Think through, what is my motive? If I'm going to make a big deal about something, or I'm going to disagree about something, I need to check my motive. Is my motive because I want to impress somebody? Is my motive because I want to look good to my group, even of people that we've all agreed on this thing for a while, and now if I have a different point of view, am I going to be cast out of this in some way? You know, and even, I think, we have to check our motives of our personal preferences, okay? Where does our personal preference come up in this? So when we come into an issue and we have a disagreement about it, we have to put ourselves through the filter of our motives. And I think the number one thing that we have to assess is, and that we have to care about, is does this issue or does my point of view on this thing, does it further the gospel mission of Jesus Christ? Like, will the gospel of Jesus be proclaimed and made known, and will people's lives be transformed by Jesus Christ because of where I stand on this thing? And now, like, I'll just bring up one issue. Like, so 
uh, that we were even talking about in our church, I think, a little bit lately. Uh, and it comes to music in church, like worship music styles and volume and who leads it and what songs are sung and what is it like and all that kind of stuff, right? It's one of those things that over the, the at least decades has been like a huge divisive point of opinion within the church, uh, at least in America, but also in other places, okay? And so you have this whole thing of these different views about what music should be like. But I would just say to you like, hey, first, does whatever thing that we're going to do, does that help further the gospel, right? Does that help further people coming and connecting and being able to engage and to come to know Jesus Christ, right? Like is that, that should be our first filter, And then you have to check yourself with your preferences. Like, oh, okay, it's just what I want because it's what I want, but I recognize how maybe something different could be something better. And we have this whole vision, right, of being better together, and we want to love like Jesus across cultures and generations. And so I I know even for me, like, I have personal preferences about music and worship and all of that. I have things that I really, really like. And I'm recognizing that I think what I really like most— is not what is going to further our vision and mission as a church. To be locked arm in arm with one another, better together, that we would see young people and we would see old people side by side with their arms raised, worshiping Jesus with passionate hearts, with love for him. That's what I want to see. And I recognize that probably with whatever is my personal preference, that might make an older person just like faint or something, right? Like I have to like, I have to check myself in that. And then in the same time, if you're an older person, that you need to check yourself in what you're trying to put on other people when it comes to your personal preferences being above the mission of the gospel of Jesus. You get me? You with it? Okay, come on. All right, here we go. So we, we continue with that, and, and I guess just, even just to kind of close that point out, like, I just, as a pastor, I just want to beg our church, I want you as people, I beg you as people to really think about that, to really think about everything that we do as a church should be for the purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus to see lives transformed and growing in their faith and, and seeing us make a difference in the world for Christ. And it's like, if it accomplishes that, then let's just get over ourselves and move past that and get into what would be best for the mission of God, not for ourselves. Okay, so I move on. Um, and then the, the next part of this passage, though, is really cool, I think, and it, I think it really helps us a lot. And it is this part where Paul is talking about to Peter, he's like, hey, you know, Peter, you got your thing to reach the Jewish people, and I've got my thing to reach the Gentiles, right? And I'm recognizing that that's good. You should do that. I should do this. The Spirit is working for you, and the Spirit is working for me and what I want my life to be about. And I think something that's really cool in this section for us to think about is that the more we know our calling, the more we know how God has created us and what we're meant to do with our lives for Christ and his kingdom, I think that allows us to be different from other people while still being unified together as a body of Christ, right? Because that's what we want. We want everybody serving in their areas of gifts and passions and then coming together as one, but being unified in those differences. And so I encourage you, I encourage you when you think about your calling, do you know? Do you know what God has created you to do with your life? I want you to think about that here for a second. Like pause, even if you've got the notes, it's in there. Think about this. Maybe even write it down. 
What is my calling? And I'm not talking about some like super, the specific will of God is that you would only do this. But how has God shaped and created you, right? And how has he gifted you? And then what should you then do with those gifts, right? For his kingdom. Simply that. Do you know that? Do you know that? Think about it. As you think about it, I also just want to even tell like a little story that I think helps us with this. Like something uh, that I've just had a, a ministry that I've been involved with over the last few years is a ministry that assesses church planters, people that want to be a church planter. So they're going to start a new church. And that's a really, like, it's a crazy hard thing to do, okay? And it's really, it's really tough. It's hard. It's a lot of discouragement. It's a lot of critique, a lot of opposition, a lot of failure. And so we really want to help these people to be, you know, just to to be able to figure out, is this something I actually should do and I'm, like, gifted to be able to do? And so he says their, their leadership and their teaching and their marriages and different things. But the most important thing that we assess is their calling, okay? That, that they feel called, they have a sense that God has called them to do this specific thing with their life. Like, that they are created by God to do this thing called church planning. Because then when the critique comes, when the opposition comes, when the failure comes, in those hard times, then you go back to your calling and you say, yes, Lord, I know that you've called me to do this, so I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to go for it. And then you keep going in, even in the midst of that. You, all, you can go back to your calling to encourage you to keep going even when it's hard. And I think that exact very same thing applies to every single one of us when it comes to our calling, how we live our lives out for God and his kingdom, is that we go back to that sense of, yes, Lord, you've called me to do this. So when this hard time comes, I'm going to go back to you in the way that I've heard your voice in this. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to minister to these people and I'm going to continue to do this and walk in that faith that you've called me to do it, okay? So write that down. And if you have had a hard time writing something down there, I want to encourage you to be a part of something, okay? This is something that is coming up this Wednesday night, okay? It is starting this week. And what's so cool about all this is that we scheduled this class to start this Wednesday night like months ago without anything in mind about what this passage was talking about or anything. And I just think it's so cool that it starts this Wednesday night and it's called Discover Your Purpose. And this Discover Your Purpose class, everything about it, it's like, it's just, it's this awesome class where you help go through a process to uh, come to find out what some of your spiritual gifts might be, the things that you're passionate about, things that you love or things that you have kind of a righteous anger about, things that maybe your skills or your abilities, your personality, experiences, all of that, and how all of that builds together and, and you find out then, okay, how God have you created me and made me, and now then how can I use that to serve you? So you take that in that really healthy way. I think you're going to be so much more effective in ministry as you do that. And there's even more to that class, but that's some of the best, I think, aspect of it. And this class is so awesome. i got to be honest, like this is one of the, the least attended and used classes that we've offered at Calvary. And I got to tell you, like, it bums me out because it's so good. And I think about a group of people, this body of believers, if we all had a sense of our gifts and our passions, and then we're serving out of that instead of just sort of signing up for whatever our friends were doing or what we, like, the last thing we saw that we should do, or we're kind of like, well, everybody goes and, you know, does this job, right? I don't know. And so we want to actually do this in an intentional way. And so I encourage you, come this Wednesday night, be part of 
of that, discover how God has shaped you, and then use that. Because um, what we don't want to have happen is a, a ministry mismatch. A ministry mismatch is where you are serving in an area where you are not created, you know, to do. Like what, something that you're not created to do. For example, it's like John Sherman, right? The legend of our church, John Sherman. If he were to go in the nursery and start teaching the fundamentals of basketball to the six-month-olds, you know, it's a ministry mismatch. That's not going to work out. Like John Sherman, just that's what he loves, but he will not work in that setting. It's if Matt Doan were to become our worship pastor. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I told him I'm going to do this too. Matt Doan has actually written a worship song. I don't know if you know this. Okay, I sang it during first service. I'm going to sing it now. It goes like this. This is a worship song he wrote. Okay, literally. It goes like this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Who am I? And then it repeats over and over and over. So that's Matt Doan's worship song. So if you guys want him to be our new worship pastor. Or... Do you think he's actually created to do the things that he is doing? Like, he is shaped and created to be all about reaching people and nurturing and caring for the needy and those who are lost. Like, that is so much more what he's shaped to do. Paula Garcia is our awesome nursery coordinator. If you see her putting Cheerios into the mouths of 17-year-olds in the high school group, that's going to be weird, okay? That's not what we want. We don't want that. Uh, And if Ron Rogalski were to— You know what? No, Ron Rogalski can do anything. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do you know that we call Ron Robotronsky? That's his nickname, Robotronsky, because he's just a machine that can accomplish anything that is set before him. So you got to get to know Robotronsky. And I I just, I want these nicknames to catch on. So Robotronsky, okay, say it with me, Robotronsky. All right, all right, all right, all right, you'll get it. Okay, so, (laughs) well, we don't want a ministry mismatch. Yeah, just kind of a little fun, but we want to be serving in the areas of our gift and passion. Um, And we don't, you know, even just a concluding thought on that, we also don't want to expect others to have the same gifts or ministry passions as us. And we also don't want to act like if somebody has a different passion— or a different gifting, that that's somehow less, you know? Like if Paul were to be like, hey, I'm called the Gentiles. You know what? There's way more Gentiles in the world than there are Jews since it's everybody else in the world. Like my ministry is so much better than you, Peter, right? No, he doesn't say that. He's just saying like Peter has this awesome ministry that has been blessed by the Holy Spirit of God, and so do I, and we have that same love. And so as you are Maybe you're shaped for, for teaching or leadership or evangelism or you're, like your calling is in discernment or hospitality. Whatever that could be, there's all these different ways. But don't think that because you're into something that everybody should be, right? Or you're gifted for something that everybody should be. And so then we can value each other and lift each other up even though we're different. It's unity, not uniformity. And then we get to this next part, okay? So I read verses 1 through 9. All right, I read Galatians 2, 1 through 9. But our our text for today actually goes to verse 10. And I want you to see verse 10, because they they just had this whole, like, huge argument and discussion and over these lofty matters of how one is saved and what is, you know, are you saved through works or not? Or what is this all about? And then they actually have, they go in Acts 15, you can read about the Jerusalem council that goes and makes this decision, and it's a pretty big deal. And then they come back and they make their decision. They're like, yeah, yeah, this is good. You know, you're right, Paul. We extend the right hand of fellowship to you. You're right. It's not about works. And then, verse 10, then they say, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. 
And it almost feels like, because then it's going to go into verse 11, we're going to talk about next week, where it's this kind of argument again about the same topic. It's just this verse that's thrown in there, and it's easily skipped over. But it's this verse where they said, hey, here's the stuff we care about. We care about the gospel of Jesus. We have to get this right. But don't forget about the poor. That's also in there. And it's kind of interesting, I think, to see that that's the one other thing they cared to mention, right? The one other thing they cared to mention was remember the poor. And so we have to know what matters most. There's these two hills that these guys, Peter, Paul, James, John, all of them, were willing to die on. And it was the gospel of Jesus and caring for the poor. And and so we want to look into, okay, what does this mean, remembering the poor, is the actual verbiage that it says in verse 10, remembering the poor. Now, there's a specific and a general way of looking at this, okay? The specific thing that they're talking about is they're talking about the poor Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. It's talked about in Romans 15, 25 to 28 as well, where there was this whole thing that Paul, as he was starting churches in Asia Minor and Greece, what they would do is they would send money back to Jerusalem to help care for those poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay, these people who, you know, because they are followers of Jesus now, because they have made Jesus, like, recognized Jesus as Messiah— They are now being ostracized from their family. They maybe even are losing some of their livelihood and all of that, okay? And so you're seeing the way that they are now caring and remembering for those specific poor people. Now there's a general kind of application that we can also take from that, that just the scriptures have this huge overarching narrative of constantly seeing the way that caring for those in need is so, so important. And it is throughout the scriptures. And it's something that, that Dave calls like a, a temporary practice and a timeless principle. Okay, I love this phrase. It's a, there's temporary practices and timeless principles. It helps us a lot when looking at Old Testament stories, as well as um, looking at stuff like this, where there was a temporary practice of them specifically caring for those poor saints in Jerusalem, but there's a, uh, a timeless principle for us of, hey, we should have a heart of caring for, remembering the poor and caring for those who are in need. Okay, that is a big deal to Paul and James and John and Peter. And some verses, I think, that help us kind of understanding these two things that are most important to them. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says this. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, first importance was this. And he goes on for the rest of chapter 15 to talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus. And so of first importance is Jesus and the good news about him, okay? So we place that as first importance. Then we see Jesus say in Matthew 23, 23, he's got this whole thing with these Pharisees there's these Pharisees, these, these religious leaders of the day, and they're talking about like, oh yeah, we're, we're pretty awesome. We do all these things. We pray really good, and we give lots of money and stuff. And, and so you've got this whole thing where they're doing that, and Jesus says to them, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. What are those weightier matters of the law? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. That's what Jesus says. That those things are the weightier matters of the law. So we have to, yes, first importance, the gospel of Jesus, but then recognize justice and mercy and faithfulness. And, and that's really, I think what you see there is 
when Jesus also says the first and second greatest commandments. That you would love the Lord your God with everything you've got, but that you would also love your neighbor as yourself. And then they say, who's my neighbor? And it's the whole Good Samaritan story, right? And so we have to have that kind of heart. To love God, but to also love our neighbor. And so we see here these really important things. And so for us then, as we think about this, as we think about all this stuff, and the kind of disagreements that we could have these days about ministry, about philosophies that we might have, about politics, or different things, right? That we have these disagreements. There's a, a great quote. Uh, it's an old ancient quote that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Okay, that in those things that are the essentials for salvation, we have to have unity. I think in the language we're using today, we have to have uniformity. Okay, we have to all be on the same page with that. But in non-essentials, we have great freedom. So we have to recognize what are those non-essentials. But no matter what, in all of them, we have a sense of charity and love and kindness and respect. I, I learned a phrase like early on in, in ministry. It was it, all these kind of things. We should be open, honest, and direct. But with gentleness, dignity, good grief, dignity and respect. Okay? Open, honest, and direct with gentleness, dignity, and respect. Uh, and so here's just, a, 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 I think, even more, a, a fuller way of finding out more about what are we talking about with essentials and non-essentials. And so you can see the pyramid is staring down upon you from everywhere in the room. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> this pyramid is something actually that Pastor Dave developed that I love. And I think uh, it's a really helpful way for us to consider this. And then I kind of flesh this one out. Um, but it is that there are foundational issues. There are supplemental issues. And there are incidental issues, okay? So foundational issues are things that you would defend to the point of breaking fellowship, okay? This is something that is that important to you, that you will, you know, you will fight and argue over this in a way that you will not back down. And some of these, this is not exhaustive, this does not cover everything, okay? Some of these could be uh, the deity of Christ, okay? That Jesus is God. That is a foundational, essential thing. The authority of Scripture, that where we look to to find out about what we know about God and how we should then live our lives for him is found in the scriptures. We find authority from the scriptures. And then let's say the means of salvation. How a person would be saved. Okay? So, like, do you have to be baptized to be saved or not? Okay? That would be a foundational thing that we would say, no, you do not need to be baptized. You do not need to add any work to your um, salvation. All right, so then uh, another one would be the Trinity, right? That, that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a foundational issue. Then you get to supplemental. Now, supplemental, this is where people get like a little more upset, okay? Because they're still pretty important, right? You could vigorously discuss them, but don't divide over them. But the problem is, is people have been dividing over this stuff for for centuries, okay? And so these things are, this is where people have the hardest time, I think, is in this supplemental area. So some examples, again, not exhaustive, but some examples of supplemental. Views on the rapture. Is there a rapture? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-tribulation, and all of that, okay? There's different views on the rapture. That is something that's important to study, but it is not something that is foundational. Uh, we, we have people on our team and staff with different opinions on that, and that's fine, okay? Uh, then you've got supplemental also, like women being called pastors. 
Okay, that is not something that should be thought of as a foundational issue. Especially when you then you look into the scriptures and you see the word pastor. It actually is the same word as shepherd, like actual shepherd. Like people that, like have sheep. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that, that word is actually only translated pastor one time in our Bibles that we have here. It's in a non-gender uh, like situation. And so sometimes we have a really strong view about something that maybe we shouldn't have such a strong view about. But it's okay to discuss and disagree and really go for it with. Then you've got, uh, let's say, methods of baptism. How one would be baptized, immersed or sprinkled. I will give you strong reasons why I really believe that the Bible talks about immersion. That that is how you should be baptized. But I also am not going to tell my friend that thinks it's sprinkling that he's an idiot, a moron, is not saved and should get out. Right? That's not what I'm going to do. Okay? However, I feel strongly that it is immersion. Okay, so we discuss it, but we don't divide. Now we get to incidental. Incidental are these areas that we discuss. We have good discussions, but we don't argue. They're probably even fun discussions. Uh, Things like style of worship. What, you know, what style of worship? What kind of clothing should we wear to church? Like how I, you know, wear a coat and Dave doesn't. You know, I just try to dress nice, but he doesn't really believe in it. You know? Uh, Because that's pretty much every week, right? You know? uh, (laughs) JK, love you, Dave. Okay, uh, <laughs> does Adam have a belly button? Like, I don't know. That's crazy. I, I don't think he needed one. Uh, is, is there heaven for pets, right? Is, uh, so these sorts of things are incidental, incidental issues. I think they're, I, I know my dog Charlie will go, but probably not my cat. Um, but <laughs> so anyway, like, I think it's just really important for us to have a good understanding of what should be uh, something that we would break fellowship over, something that we would get really serious about, but other things that we sort of have to just let go, okay? So all of that to say is if we as believers here at Calvary Church want to live out this mission of loving like Jesus across all cultures and generations, seeing us really be a better together kind of family that uh, we're continually being changed by the gospel, all of that, then we have to be people who are able to disagree well. Because if we want to be, you know, like all the generations together, we're going to disagree. If we want to have all different kinds of cultures, that's ethnicities and preferences and everything, right? We're going to have things that we disagree about or we have differences about, right? And so we have to recognize that we are one in Christ together and we can have unity even when we don't have uniformity. And I hope and I pray that we get this as a church as we move forward and hope to see many people come to know Jesus. And so as we conclude here, we're going to move into a time of worship. Our stations will be available uh, where you can come and you can take communion and remember what Jesus Christ has done. And that's an incidental that it's grape juice and not real wine. And we use matzo crackers and not loaves of bread. Right? Okay? Uh, and so there's that. And we come, but we, well, the point is, is that we remember Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. We come and we give our offering. We surrender that to him. There'll be people available at these prayer points to pray with you during this time. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love for you to turn in the card and the offering if you want to do that Discover Your Purpose class or something like that. You can throw the card in those offering buckets as well. So let's take this time. Let's, let's take steps to share the gospel, to pray with people that we know that need Jesus, to really remember the poor and to serve our God in the areas of our gift and passion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with Such great love for you in our hearts, God. We are filled with that. 
And I pray today that we would know and have just amazing clarity on the way that you have gifted us and the things that we are passionate about and that we would see or this body of believers just make a tremendous impact in this world for your kingdom, God. I pray that you would help us to learn to disagree well and to be okay that we have unity and not uniformity, God. So be shaping and changing our hearts to be more after your heart, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.